Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and tonight we have on the show the man behind the website called sportsrehabexpert.com, and he's here tonight to drop a little bit of knowledge on the subject of sports rehab, injury prevention, Tonight, we're joined by Dr. Greg Shibley. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it led you to where you are today? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. You guys uh, got a great one going here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Um, As a physical therapist, I've been out of PT school now uh, for six years, but uh, I think my background of getting into it was started just like many where, you know, I'd, I'd Love playing sports. Um, I was injured all the time, though. In high school, my nickname was Injury Prone. So, I mean, if that doesn't say it, that's that's enough for you there. So I was always in the training office for some reason. Still ended up getting a uh, college scholarship to run track. So that's what kind of – I was always thinking athletic training or physical therapy um, in, in the strength and conditioning route, too. So when I was an undergrad running track, I completed my undergraduate in strength and conditioning. Um, and then when I was a GA, I kind of had a unique opportunity with that too, um, where uh, the, the track program didn't necessarily have a huge um, strength and conditioning background to it. So while I was in the track program, I got to write some uh, different training programs for the 400 meter athletes, um, people running the same distance as me. Uh, but then also when I was a GA, I was a GA for the athletic department when I got into PT school because I did my undergrad or undergrad and graduate schooling at the same university at Finley in Ohio. And uh, so that, uh, that allowed me to kind of continue writing some strength training programs too. And it um, not only just with my background in the weight room, but then also being able to write programs for people. It was a nice combo of getting that strength and conditioning background um, while also simultaneously kind of getting more of the rehabilitation at the same point in time. Um, Coming out of that, uh, I I had a pretty um, uh, influencing last clinical rotation um, that really jump-started my career, I feel like. Um, So that was really helpful for me going on that rotation. Um, And then I had a unique um, situation with my first job. So I actually got fired um, two weeks into my first job. And uh, that was, I should have, I blame myself a little bit too, because I should have vetted some things out in the interview process, but um, it it was kind of a set in stone clinic uh, where this is how we treat people and this is right and anything else is is wrong, we'll say. Um, But uh, so the guy who was the owner of there, and there's other reasons that I realize now kind of owning my own cash practice of why he runs it a certain way too, but I think it could have been handled a little bit differently too. But uh, he told me uh, he needed a follower and not a leader in his clinic. Um, and that just didn't necessarily sit right with me either. So we parted ways um, and then uh, eventually uh, started working for uh, Gary Gray Physical Therapy in Michigan. Um, and then uh, eventually opened my cash practice uh, over a little bit over a year ago now. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, things happen for a reason. And if the writing's on the wall, you got to do what you got to do. You know, I totally get it. But Greg, what made you specialize and really spurned a passion inside of you for sports? And how did you end up kind of getting started with sports rehab expert? Yeah, so um, that clinical rotation that I, I talked about that was really influential with me um, is uh, sports rehab expert has been around for eight years. Um, I've only been a PT for six years, so you can uh, do the math there yourself. I, I didn't actually start the website. It was started by um, a guy by the name of Joe Heiler, um, and it's, it was a pretty popular website. If you're familiar with uh, Mike Boyle and strengthcoach.com, um, they played off of each other. So my background with the strength and conditioning and knowing the, the Mike Boyle uh, process system, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I went through his whole educational program or things like that, but I was familiar with what he was teaching. Um, I got exposed to the strength and uh, the sportsrehabexpert.com website, which uh, the owner of that at the time was named Joe Heiler. Um, and uh, so he's located in Michigan too. So I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. I mean, right in my backyard, I can go um, learn from him. So that's where my um, internship was, clinical rotation was. Uh, it was a 12 week rotation and um, me and Joe just kind of hit it off there. And uh, it, it really changed the trajectory of my career. So when I was in, um, when I started working after that, he was still running the site at the time. Um, so I was just adding content in the form of me helping out with articles, blog posts, videos, uh, audio interviews, things like that. And um, eventually he just got to the point of where uh, his clinic itself was re really, really busy. And his, he's got uh, a bunch of kids who are all now reaching end of high school, college, where he just didn't have the time for it. So um, he offered for myself to kind of take it over in the direction that I saw fit. And uh, that's where it's been. So I've been running that for three years now. Awesome, awesome. You said you did some blog posts and some some interviews and things like that. Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on what exactly a sports rehab expert the website includes? What what does it all entail? Yeah, so the the website started out as a um, I mean just as a more or less as a it's, it's kind of a catchy phrase now that people say, but as a way to start bridging the gap from rehab to sports performance training or strength training. Um, you know, that again, the website started eight years ago. So the website itself is a membership site and it's a accumulation of just content that's been added over eight years. So it's pretty much an encyclopedia now of all this different content that's been added to it. It's got like over 500 interviews to it now too, from people all across the world. So, um, there's just a, a knowledge basis that's in there. Um, and I like to explain it as I feel like I am a, a product of the product because uh, I got access to that website um, as I was going into that rotation, literally read every single and listened to every single interview before I went on that rotation, which made me prepared for it. Um, and at the time that would have been, you know, the website was only three years old. And then just over the course of uh, the, the, following years, just the amount of content that was added to it and the back and forth, just you're exposed to so many other people's systems and the way they go about the treatment, sports performance, sports rehab, um, you just get exposed to so much that uh, you can kind of start picking out and developing your own way, but you get influenced by so many people, which is the, the usefulness of it. Um, uh, where I'm trying to take it uh, is is a little bit more in a organized learning system now because um, that, that website's pretty much a self-learning uh, tool where you just go on, log in, and kind of look at the information you want to. Um, so I'm 
working on a, a sports rehab expert certification actually um, that is uh, a little bit more systematic and organized into to what uh, the way I go about treating um, athletics. But then also, I think there's a when we talk about bridging the gap between um, rehab and performance, um, I think a lot of that is talked about from the concept of bringing strength and conditioning into rehabilitation. What I think is missed a little bit too is kind of taking that next step is how do you, how do you take strength training and get it to overflow into actual performance, but then also taking it back a step and how do you get that strength training and, and do it with just the general population because we all treat, uh, you know, at least probably 50, 60, 70, 80% of your caseload is general population. You're not necessarily working with just athletes. So we, how do you mix all that together and uh, solidify a treatment approach that remains uniform throughout the, no matter who you're seeing? Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point there. I, I, I think somewhere along the line, exercise and strength training kind of got watered down a little bit through physical therapy curriculum. And we, you know, we, there's been a real heavy push for for loading and strength training and, you know, and rightfully so, you know, but um, based on what you're seeing from or hearing from students or newer clinicians, do you feel that sports rehab and performance training overall is adequately covered in DPT education at present time? I, I don't. I don't. Um, if I had not been exposed to the website prior to that last clinical rotation, I feel like I would have been um, over, overwhelmed um with it uh and i don't think i would have had the um uh, the experience that i did from it um so that website i think really got me prepared for that specific rotation which was heavily involved with sports rehab and orthopedic rehab and strength training um so i, I think there's definitely a big gap there that that's not done in education i think it's becoming more and more aware now but there's still definitely a, a gap in what is taught in um uh, physical therapy school, but also, you know, to some extent, the application process, because uh, in strength and conditioning too, I said my background was in that in undergrad. So, um, you know, I had some exposure to writing some strength training programs and, and strength and conditioning classes and taking my CSCS uh, before becoming a PT. Um, and even with all of that stuff, the there, there's the book side of things, but then there's also the application and you know, what is applicable. Um, and that's missed out even in the strength and conditioning field, I feel like. So I, to answer the question as a whole, I do, I do think it's pretty uh, limited right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that, you know, and, and, and from a bigger picture standpoint, it's not completely the university's fault, right? They've only got so much time yep. to cram in everything they need to get people ready for the, the board exam. So I get it. Um, you know, and I'm going way back here, but when I went through PT school, it was a master's program and, and sports was, was, you know, an option. You could take it as a, as an optional course, uh, if you wanted to, um, you know, but it wasn't required by any means. Um, you know, we recently did a Twitter poll, um, asking what would you want better addressed in DPT education? Uh, and the choices were exercise prescription, strength and conditioning, uh, pain, neuroscience education business and population health. We got 745 responses 
and uh, the winner being exercise prescription and uh, strength and conditioning with 50% of the votes. So, you know, understanding that this, again, is just a Twitter poll. It's not the most reliable form of of data, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think that exercise prescription and strength and conditioning needs overall to be better addressed? Do we need to overhaul this in, in the current curriculum? Yeah, it, it is tough what you say because I, I understand the problem where it's, you know, you got to you, you have to teach someone for the board exam and the board exams helping someone to be safe as a generalist, um, which could go off in a variety of different situations, not necessarily orthopedics and sports. Um, so that, that's part of the, the issue. But, um, you know, some of it is you obviously have to do a little bit of your due diligence after the fact, too. Um, but you know, even going back into my schooling, um, I think back to my exercise science class and it was, you know, going over more or less protocols. Um, so, I mean, and we, Gally, I think we maybe spent a couple of days on ACL, um, and just like the knee in general, uh, and going over some pretty basic standardized rehab exercises as opposed to strength and conditioning stuff. Um, luckily I had some of that background from, uh, again, undergrad too, but, um, you're somewhat cautious in that standpoint when you're dealing with somebody who's in pain. So you're, it, it almost, if, if you don't have, again, some of that uh, mentorship or, uh, you know, what I feel like I had in that last clinical rotation, uh, you're scared to utilize some of those strength training exercises, more of those typical strength training exercises. Um, and you just kind of fall by the wayside and use the rehab. Likewise, you get out into the field and a lot of standard physical therapy clinics, they just have very basic equipment for rehab too. Um, and it's, it's a struggle sometimes to load people as well. I think the heaviest piece of weight that we had in my first job was a, a 40 pound dumbbell. Um, so, I mean, there's only so much loading you can do with that sort of implement as well too. Um, so there, there's a lot of problems that are kind of presenting and I, I do think it's becoming more and more prevalent and starting to change and um, we're starting to see that in some of the clinics too having more of those implements um, but it just spending longer time going over exercise form technique and, and teaching somebody because that's the other aspect too you could say you know squats are good for this particular person but how do you teach someone how to squat with all the different body types all the different comorbidities that someone could have um, that, that takes a skill to be able to do that. Um, and the different pain presentations someone has too. how do you modify a certain activity? Um, I mean, taking that a step further too, even like a cardiopulmonary class that I took, I mean, that was all about reading EKGs. Whereas, you know, there's a strength and conditioning side to that too. Whereas what are the different energy systems that you're training when you're, uh, when you're using certain rep schemes and, uh, circuit training and, and rest intervals and things of that nature where I think that was totally missed out on um, in the cardiopulmonary class. Um, obviously, again, you got to get somebody prepared for a test, and those EKGs are, are something that could be on the test. But, um, you know, that, that's something that wasn't even touched on um, at all uh, in my uh, schooling. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sensing an undertone of coaching is good, right? We need to know how to coach people. Um, I, I'm definitely noticing a sense and a trend toward moving um, into those strength and conditioning aspects. Loading is better, you know, teaching more about the exercises and the movements. Um, and that's a lot of that, I think, is thanks to the research that's out there, right? There's a lot of research showing that, hey, loading is pretty good. Like, we should do more of that. 
you know, and I understand that there's a plethora of research to unpack there, right? And a bunch to sift through, but, you know, with so many variables being out there regarding injury reduction, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to things like, you know, ankle sprains, ACLs, meniscus, et cetera, you know, what are you looking to tell a student? What are you trying to educate a student or a new grad on uh, when it comes to an overview um, about what we know about injury reduction in general? Um, what, what are you telling some of these students and new clinicians? Yeah. So um, uh, the new uh, catchphrase term, I guess, is resiliency. People like to talk about resiliency and uh, I like that term a lot. I, I use it a lot too. Uh, the whole concept behind getting someone stronger, um, I talk about it as building a buffer zone or building some body armor. Um, but to a certain extent, too, you'll have people who talk about, um, you know, you can't go wrong with getting strong, which I'll, I'll agree with that phrase as well. But there becomes a point of diminishing returns with different qualities that you work um, with. And that, that's, I think, the most important thing to recognize is the different qualities that you can train in somebody um and and physically change with adaptation over time um you know just a few of them are you know strength training um the aerobic capacity um your anaerobic your atp um, power outputs uh you know those are more sport related but movement variability is another um key term that people are throwing out nowadays um but uh, motor coordination and ability to dissociate movements from one another um, th those are other qualities that can be trained as well too. And you just have to have a, a, a good recognition of what is the most important domino for that person to fall. That person could already have a decent amount of strength already, and they just need some more variability in their movement to uh, attenuate forces. Um, and that may be the most beneficial thing for them at that time. Um, to a certain extent, there's people who could benefit from all those different scenarios. Um, and, and that would be more of your general physical preparedness that strength and conditioning coaches will throw out there a lot with your youth athletes. I mean, just general physical preparedness. But as you get more and more involved with uh, a sports specific program or someone who is, you know, just an athlete in one sport and, you know, really trying to maximize their performance, uh, to a certain extent, you have to start becoming more uh, specialized or targeted in your approach to what you're trying to address because if you stay general you're not going to make any progress in those qualities so at some point in time you you actually will be okay with losing certain qualities um, to improve other qualities um, so one one example that i give a lot of new grads uh, it works well for guys um because we've i think we've all played this it was is madden or ncaa or nba 2k um so i, I call it the player profile um, when you go into create a player, you have all these attributes that the player has. And, uh, you, but you only, if you're creating a player, you only got so many points that you can distribute these attributes with. And when you, you know, say you make someone really, really fast for your football team, well, that pr person's probably going to be lacking in the strength department. Um, and if you try to build up the strength, you're probably going to have to decrease some of your numbers and the speed um, because uh, you just don't have enough numbers to go around when you're creating that player. So um, that's what I, get people to try to visually see or, or feel inside their head when they're going through an assessment and talking about just the different qualities that you can train. And then when you're performing an assessment, kind of think about, okay, what's that player profile? What, how are we profiling this person? Um, what's their biggest need right now? And what do we just need to continue optimizing in their current program? 
Yeah, really great points and actually some pretty good analogies there too with uh, the Madden uh, player profile. I like that. Uh, Greg, you know, I want to shift gears a little bit here because not all of us are going to treat professional athletes, right? Not all of us are going to treat older athletes. A lot of us that do treat athletes will treat the younger population. And, you know, one of the things that I saw when I was treating, uh, you know, the general outpatient population was a lot of younger athletes, uh, you know, would come in with their parents. And how often are you having to manage the parents of athletes, uh, especially setting realistic expectations? You know, what are some tips that you would give for parental management, if you will, like especially in the tougher cases? Yeah, it, it takes some feeling out. Um, it's not, it's a subtle skill to develop because um, you're, you're going to have different types of parents. You're going to have those who are, you know, looking more concerned about their, their athlete and maybe not necessarily worried about them getting back to play right right away. But every little bit of pain that little Johnny has, they become overly concerned about and they hover over him. Whereas to some extent, it's, certain things are okay to push through. Um, so that's part of the education process too. Um, but then you got other parents who are, yeah, real pushy. You know, we need to get back in ASAP. This person's got a game tomorrow. We need to get them ready. Um, so it, it, it makes it tough. Um, the best suggestion I can have is the sooner you set expectations um, and the more that you uh, control the issue early on um, and, and give someone a preview of what, it was, what it's going to look like working with you, um, the, the better off you're going to be. Um, so what I mean by that is um, – kind of uh, say somebody has a patellofemoral pain. Uh, it's a basketball, young female playing too much basketball. They're, they're involved with some other uh, AU, their high school team, uh, and maybe they're doing a second sport also on that too. So just a lot of overuse going on. Um, but they need some general physical preparedness as well too. So that that's a difficult scenario where you have to build some strength up, but also in their sport, they're loading too much. So um, I like to use analogies as far as, um, you know, what's okay to push through and what's not okay. So I use, uh, some people may be familiar with it, but a red light, green light, yellow light analogy. Um, and just giving people reason, okay, this is a yellow light. If these things happen, it's okay to start working through it and it's okay to keep playing your sport. But if it turns into this red light scenario, then we got to start reducing some variables and, and eliminating some things too. So I don't try to take away their sport immediately um, because that's something that they obviously don't want and they're afraid to come to people sometimes because of that um or they're just given that by their doctor too they're just told you know stop playing and, and just don't do anything for four months and you're supposed to magically go away so uh, I, I try to avoid that at all costs but i give them these different scenarios that can happen um and depending on how it goes uh that's the adjustment so they're already forewarned of what could happen um, and I, I, then I'll also give them precedence of this is our first goal. This is what we need to achieve. And if anything you're doing outside of that uh, is harming, uh, that first goal, um, and we can't achieve it because of, uh, say there's too much volume going on with practice and, uh, different sports and, and things of that nature, then, uh, we're going to have to reel some things back a little bit so that you can achieve this goal and keep making progress too. So setting expectations early and then giving them, not necessarily telling them this is absolutely what's going to happen 100%, but showing them um, different routes that may occur during this process because we we're not able to predict the whole process um, 100%. I won't admit to that, and nobody should, but um, at least you're painting a picture of different scenarios that could happen so they're prepared for it if it does. 
Yeah, some really great tools. And I think one of the common themes we're hearing tonight is uh, analogy. You know, uh, teaching is all about being able to, you know, get knowledge from one area to the other through storytelling, usually, and analogy. So, you know, I think those work really well. Um, what are some of the common mistakes or errors or pitfalls that you see, um, you know, PTs or providers doing when it comes to performance training with their athletes? What, what are some things that we should try to avoid that you're seeing out there? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, and I've made my fair share of, of some of these. Um, so I think it's getting caught up too much and just one thing is going to be the solution for it. So uh, I think a lot of people will feel that, you know, this one manual therapy trick is going to help everybody out. Um, uh, when realistically it may not be manual therapy that helps anybody out or that specific case out. Um, same thing with strength training. People go all in on, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with getting strong, but people will take that too literally and that's all that they do. Um, and sometimes there's other qualities that you got to work on the individual too. So it's being well-rounded, um, which is ironic because we talk about being a specialist all the time. Um, but being well-rounded, uh, I think is important for a rehabilitation professional. You know, we're not surgeon who needs to do something very, very specific, um, you know, and just limit some of the possibilities of things going wrong. There's so many different potential possibilities that could happen in rehab between all the different injuries and scenarios you're treating. You have to be a good generalist first before you can specialize in an area. Um, so I think that's first and foremost to just get really, really well-rounded and then kind of start trying to pick your niche if you want to go into a specific niche or, or something of that nature, because that well-roundedness will help you out first and foremost. Um, the other thing, this, this may be a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, is uh, uh, sports-specific training. Um, it, I think it gets tossed around and gets uh, not necessarily used in the way that it's intended. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, say you've you got a baseball athlete and you're having them do some rotator cuff exercises. Just because you attach a ball to a rope or a, or a TheraBand and do some external rotation at 90 degrees abduction does not make it sports-specific. Um, sport specific in the train. The other thing too, is we can't be exactly the same as a sport either. So um, there's nothing we can do in the weight room that's going to simulate a 90 mile an hour fastball. Um, so there's gotta be some type of middle ground. So where the middle ground is, is just understanding um, physics, uh, angles, and just different force concepts um, where uh, you're, you're trying to uh, mimic some of the things that happen in sport, albeit knowing that you're going to hit different um, positions on the the force velocity curve that that's out there. So um, don't just and, and to like people performing like agility stuff from an ACL tear and, and say it's a soccer player, just giving them a soccer ball and having them cut with a soccer ball isn't necessarily sports specific in a, a sense. Yes, they need to be comfortable using the ball and changing direction with the ball at their feet again. Um, but if we're talking about knee valgus and other deceleration issues that the person may have, we actually have to teach that person how to cut properly from a biomechanical standpoint. Um, and sometimes that can be hindered if you put a ball at their feet and you're not actually getting at the root cause because you're trying to be too sport specific at that point in time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that maybe D1 
college athlete to professional level in that then I could see, you know, very pinpoint specific stuff being used. But, you know, I mean, studies are showing now too specialization at a younger age isn't even that great. So like, let's just get more general, right? Let's get general strengthening, general cutting and moving, you know, things down. And then we can kind of look to the sports specific, the older they go. I, I like that idea. Greg, what are, what are you looking forward to in the future of sports medicine as far as like technology or treatments or, you know, what are you seeing coming down the pipeline that you really are, are excited about? Yeah. Um, I, I'll be the first to admit I'm, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably more of the person who is, would rather people just, I think we can get overwhelmed with technology sometimes and not necessarily um, do the basics really, really well. Um, so it, to some extent, I, think we need to be careful about how much we do utilize. Um, some different things that are out there though currently that have piqued my interest is, um, I mean obviously BFR, people are talking about BFR, I use it in my practice too. Um, I, I, I don't think that's something new necessarily for too many people anymore, but they may not be using it yet. Um, uh, there's uh, some sensors out from Dorsa V that are kind of cool. Um, but again, from a clinician standpoint, I don't know how much it's actually giving you, but you can already tease out an assessment um, and, and visually see yourself. And just, you know, as you see more and more people and get more reps under you, you notice these things anyways. So do you need a sensor to kind of tell you that and all the extra time that it's going to take away from you um, by having to, to wear them, monitor them, look at all the data and things of that nature? Um, it definitely certainly is nice for some research um, aspect, those little wearable sensors, but from an applicable standpoint in the clinic. I don't know how much benefit it gives you. Um, it may help with some buy-in aspect of things by putting some numbers uh, by certain movements um, to give people objective measures that they need to improve upon. Um, so that may help with some buy-in, but clinically, how much extra is it giving you? I I'm not necessarily sold on that um, because we're already talking about a lot of the things that it's bringing up. Um, one thing from a strength and conditioning standpoint, which would be cool. I just don't see it happening in the rehab world anytime soon, unless you are just working with athletes and in the performance setting or with pro sports, college sports is, uh, tendo units. And, um, they, they look at, uh, you know, bar speed, velocity, uh, rate of force development, uh, which I think is huge post-op after surgeries, uh, for shoulder, for legs, knees, ACLs. Um, we all know to get somebody stronger and we, we want to do that, but uh, there's a difference between being strong and being able to produce force quickly. Uh, and that's a nice way of having a immediate output measure with it. But again, that's a pretty pricey unit that I don't think is going to make its way into rehab anytime soon. Um, so that, that would be uh, some diff different things that are kind of cool to look at, but I just don't know how practical a lot of the, the stuff may be. Yeah, and for our audience that isn't aware, BFR is just blood flow restriction. So some pretty cool stuff out there. It's getting some pretty good research currently. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. I will say um, one, one thing that I've played around with a little bit, um, and it's pretty cheap. It's a, it's a, it's a unit called G-Flight. And if you're working with athletes and you, you want to kind of get into some rate of force development, it's pretty cheap. It's, uh, it's like $120. All it is is a little bit of a sensor. Um, think of like a vertical jump mat. Um, where you, you jump off the mat, it kind of measures your, your height as you hit back down based upon how long you left the ground. Um, it's a similar concept. So you can test vertical jump capabilities with it. Um, it's just a laser uh, that goes through. Um, what you can test with that with some of your hop testing is ground contact time. 
Um, so that, that's kind of interesting and something that I've uh, toyed playing around with a little bit more and more of too. Very cool. Well, Greg, what would you recommend to a new grad or even someone looking to shift directions in their career uh, into more of a sports background? What, what would you recommend to somebody looking to change things up and get into that sports uh, world? Yeah. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, if you, if you've never really gotten yourself into a weight room, um, and done some consistent training there yourself. I mean, that's, that could be the first exposure, um, that is useful for you. Um, because it, it teaches you a lot just by training yourself. Um, I feel so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking to get into that, that's probably one of the simplest things you can do to get yourself exposed to more of the concepts and then start applying it in your current scenario. Um, the other thing it does too, is it gives you a relationship potentially with a, a gym owner there as, as well. And, uh, you know, there's a potential referral source right off the bat for you. So, um, it's kind of a, a two way street there where, you know, obviously you don't want to go in there guns a blazing saying, you know, I'm going to be your go-to person right off the bat, you know, get a relationship with that place first, um, learn some things first and, and then, um, maybe offer up some services after that. Um, that's probably a, I mean, that's how my cash practice got started pretty much, uh, quite honestly. Um, so uh, that, that would be my suggestion right there. Awesome. Greg, we like to ask all of our guests this one final question. If you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Yeah, I think we hit on it. Uh, it's, uh, it's putting some strength and conditioning into the, the, the program. Obviously, I got my bias there um, with the population that I, I treat, but I, I, I see a ton of utility out of it with general population as well, too. Uh, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions behind strength training that people just get from uh, general fitness population in the media. Um, that uh, if we did a better job of educating our, um, our profession, uh, we'd be at a little bit more of a front line to give a standardized, not necessarily a standardized, but a, a, um, a well-themed response uh, that is, you know, that's, that's very similar between clinicians um, as opposed to all these different varying response that people get. So I, I would love to see that happen more in the, um, in the, the, the educational system. Uh, it, what would be my suggestion to, uh, start changing that. I mean, I guess probably that if we could somehow get into uh, the people who write the exams um, and start lobbying for them, including some of that into their exams. I mean, that's the purpose kind of, if you look at it in the most simplest aspect, it's the purpose of school is to help you pass the board exam. So if it's in the board exam, it's going to be covered in school. Um, so that would, that would be kind of my approach there uh, to, to if there was some type of connection with that, um, uh, or person that was in the know there that would be useful to get a hold of them. <laughs> yeah, standardization of uh, education has definitely been a big one for sure. And we've we've had a couple of uh, people from the NPTE on here on the on the podcast to kind of discuss some of those things. And again, it just comes down to it being a really big ship that takes a long time to write and turn. And, and you know, they're doing the best they can, but the you know. It's uh, it's like the APTA, the same thing. It's it's a real slow moving ship, you know. When uh, yeah. change is is happening, it's just happening at a really slow pace because it's such a big uh, unit. So, yep. 
Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show tonight. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow up with you or have any questions or anything like that online or on social media? Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome being here again. Thanks again. Um, the easiest place to get a hold of me is uh, through sportsrehabexpert.com. Um, my email is greg, G-R-E-G, at sportsrehabexpert.com. Um, you can also, uh, there's a free Facebook group for sports rehab expert too. There's, it's called the sports rehab expert mentorship. So you can, uh, look up that if you'd like, um, and just request access to that. I'll add you in. Um, and then also, uh, you know, Instagram is probably another common place, sports rehab expert, um, email, Facebook. Um, that's, that's the best place to go there. Great. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody. Well, thanks again for coming on. Like I said, go enjoy that uh, home run derby tonight. I'm pulling for Pete Alonzo, man. Polar bear. There we go. (laughs) Thanks again. Yep, you too. Bye.